So the future of supply chain is going to be more connected and more collaborative. Everything we do in the world depends on supply chains. Hence our mantra, the world is a supply chain. And the need is never going to go away. As long as you have human beings on the planet, we're going to need supply chains. Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast. My name's Richard Howells, and I'm the Vice President for Thought Leadership for SAP's ERP, Finance, and Supply Chain Solutions. And I'm joined by my co-host, Nicole. Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole Smythe, and I'm a marketer, blogger, and of course, podcaster in the supply chain space here at SAP. So today we're joined by an awesome guest that's in a fascinating part of the supply chain sector. Our guest, Brian Away, founder of Refashion Ventures, an emerging venture capital fund that's built to invest in and champion startups and nurturing supply chains of tomorrow. So welcome, Brian. We are so excited to have you on the series, and thank you so much for joining us today. If you just take a moment to introduce yourself, give some insight into what you do today and your company, Refashion. Thank you. So I've been told I don't do a good job of introducing myself. People say you either leave something out or you take too long. So the primary thing, I think, and listeners can read the bio in the show notes. The primary thing is I'm one of two founders of Refashion Ventures. We're a very young venture fund, and we started the fund to invest in early stage startups that are refashioning supply chains. That's the connection to the name. And when we say refashioning as supply chains, we mean that they are fundamentally changing something about how supply chains work because we realize that the way that thing has worked in the past is not fit for purpose given where the world is heading. So that's one. The other primary thing is both of us, Lisa and I, my co-founder and I, also the founders of the New York Supply Chain Meetup and the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation. The goal there is to create an open, multidisciplinary, collaborative community. And the Federation is a network of communities where people can get together and talk about what it's going to take to make the world's supply chains ready for the challenges that tomorrow is going to throw at us. And the idea there is everyone, big company, small company, expert, non-experts, technologists should be able to get together and talk about these issues in an open and collaborative way. And then there are a bunch of other things like I, I teach, I blog, and but that's all. <laughs> these are the two primary things that I spend my time on. You're more than a triple threat. <laughs> so you've been working in the supply chain space for a while, and you mentioned the New York Supply Chain Meetup was the initial one that you had in, I think it was in 2017, you said it for the show. And this is fostering an epic of professionals for the supply chains of tomorrow. But why did you pick supply chain? What made you interested in investing in the field and fostering companies of tomorrow? And what trends make it an attractive opportunity? So I've been doing some thinking, the audience might not know this, but the process of building a brand new venture fund is incredibly difficult. It's similar to building a completely brand new startup. And so most days I wake up and I'm asking myself what lunacy overcame me to try to do this. <laughs> and what's wrong with me? Why don't I? You're joined by fellow lunatics, so you're in good Yeah. 
And, you know, so I'll give you both sides. I'll give you the personal side and the professional. So let's start with the easy one, professional, intellectual, and whatnot. So I studied math and physics in college. I love solving difficult problems. I don't always get them right, but that's what really excites me. The more difficult the problem, the more I get excited about tackling it. In fact, I like to say that the problems that I enjoy solving most are the types of problems that most people don't have anything to do with. <laughs> and that's number one. I had spent some years as a generalist, a venture capitalist, and I was starting to think about what I should specialize in. I wanted to find an area to specialize. And I was looking for a very big problem with very, very difficult issues, but issues that could be solved with software technology. In some cases, not in all cases, but in many cases could be solved with software technology, especially given the advances that have taken place. And then the third thing I was looking for was, you know, it should be something fundamental, like the need is never going to go away. You might solve some problem today, but you'll need to solve it in some other way in the future. And coincidentally, at that time, I was studying a trucking software startup. I didn't know anything about trucking, so I had to teach. And the more I learned about it, I was like, wait, so logistics. And then other people I talked to said, yeah, logistics is part of this thing called supply chain. And I was like, wait, this is huge. Everything we do in the world depends on supply chains. Hence, our mantra, the world is a supply chain. And the need is never going to go away. As long as you have human beings on the planet, we're going to need supply chains. And then most VCs I knew thought, you know, supply chain, that's the dumbest, most stupid thing anyone could possibly do. This is back in 2014, 2015 and whatnot. I was like, great. Everyone thinks this is stupid. This is what I'm going to <laughs> That's the intellectual, you know, side of it. The personal side of it is that I grew up, I come from Ghana. I grew up in Nigeria. And as a teenager in secondary school, I lived with my grandfather in the village. And when I say the village, you know, there's no running water. There's no electricity. My grandpa and a lot of my relatives are subsistence farmers, right? When the World Bank talks of people who live beneath the poverty line, that's my relatives. And so every night when we got back from the farm, when I was home from school on vacation, it was my job to get on my grandfather's bike, ride around the village and see if I could find one of the people who sold their medicines. Because I had to get him three pills, white pills, pretty big white pills, and he needed to take them. He had a really acute case of rheumatoid arthritis. And if I didn't get those pills for him, he wouldn't be able to go to sleep. And, you know, 2019, I'm working on this fund, you know, we're putting together our thesis. And I read an article from Roche about the supply chains in Nigeria. And they said their supply chains in Nigeria are so broken that by the time any of their products gets to the end customer, the markup due to the inefficiencies in their supply chains at the low end is 40%, at the high end is 700%. And so I said, wait a minute. So my relatives in the village living below the poverty line, buying these things that they absolutely need, could be paying up to 700%. And then I talked to a friend in Nigeria and he said, yeah, 700% is probably too low anyway, Brian. You know this. And so to me, what that said is where I can have the greatest impact is to invest in people who are solving these. 
I can't solve the problems myself, but I can raise capital, invest in people, enable them to solve these problems and hopefully make the world better by solving those problems. That was one of the best reasons I've ever heard someone get into supply chain because some people, they do it because it's a growing field. They think there's a good future. Some other people, money. And, and the reason Lisa and I make a good team is because even though on the outside, we look so different, her driver for doing this is very similar. And, and I'm being serious. It's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And we wake up every day and we're like, okay, why are we doing this? We can't throw in the towel. <laughs> we can't throw in the towel. You've come so far. You can't stop now. So, but it's incredible. I mean, just the work, like you've just already explained, the work that you're doing for the world, it goes beyond just day-to-day activities. It goes towards the betterment of society and the world. And it's just incredible what you guys are doing. But you've said, and I think we can all agree here that it is an ever-changing and ever-evolving field. There is problems every day. Ones that were there five years ago have now morphed into something even bigger. Sometimes better, but definitely more of a monster sometimes. But I do want to kind of dive into your investment, the refashioned and the full process from end to end, because from both sides, like you said, it can be daunting as the capitalist. You want to ensure you're investing in a company where you get a a high ROI coming back. You want to make sure your your money is going towards something good. But of course, as a startup, you want to present yourself as the most attractive candidate. With that, like you said, as the field has continued to grow over the years, what is your evaluation process for potential startups to invest in? And what are like the main criteria that you look for in a company before you decide to invest? So I think the most useful thing for listeners is if we talk about the more philosophical things mm-hmm. and less about the, you know, tactical, like want to make sure you have a business model and all. Yes. If you're going to succeed, we know you're going to need a business model. <laughs> you know that you're going to need a business model. But the way that the lens, the framework through which we think about any of the startups that we invest in is first, is there some proprietary knowledge that the team has acquired that gives them an insight that their peers might not have? And the reason we look for this is, you know, we want to make money. Yes, we want to make the world a better place, but we also want to make money and a lot of money. That's one way we know that we're succeeding. That's the world a better place. And our LPs, much as our LPs want us to make the world a better place, they have responsibilities for which they need gobs and gobs of money to take care of. So the reason we do that is because at the early stage, there is no real to prevent competition. And so the only way you can prevent competition in the very, very early days is that you have an insight that no one else has. And so they think they're solving the problem in the way it should be solved, but they wind up failing because they don't have the insight you have. So that's one of the things that we dig for. And then the other thing that we dig for is you might have the insights, but you might not be focused enough on your customers and solving the problems that your customers have in the way that they experience it, right? Sometimes, sure, you have the insight, but you're like more excited about the wonderful gizmos 
right? The wonderful things you can do with your technology. And that's not useful because it's going to be difficult. Customers don't care about your technology. They want you to solve their problems. So those are the two main things. And then, like I said, yeah, we want to make sure that there's a business model that you're testing out. We want to make sure that you can recruit. We want to make sure that at some point you'll be able to sell to customers. But if we don't feel the answers to those two big issues is strongly in the positive, strongly affirmative, none of the other things is going to matter. Mm-hmm. So interesting. So in the past few years, we've all experienced yeah. disruptions and it's been a major focus. It's brought supply chains to the forefront. And risk resiliency paired with analytical capabilities and predictive capabilities have become top investments for companies globally to be better positioned to handle these challenges. During the initial evaluation for potential investments, how do you assess both the company's ability to manage and mitigate risks, but also the solutions that they're providing to manage and mitigate risks associated with unforeseen disruptions? So I rarely think that the startups we invest in themselves can prevent or mitigate risk. What I believe they can do is create tools so that their customers, people who manage supply chains and operations and the companies, the businesses that become the customers of the startups we invest in, so that those people can manage and mitigate risks. I think it's often the case that we talk about supply chains in a way that minimizes the importance of people, but you know, there's no supply chain that functions if you take out the people. Even when we talk about fully automated supply chain systems, right, whether it's in manufacturing, that factories and that sort of thing, people still had to invent and create and manufacture the system that is now autonomous. So you just can't run away from the primacy of people. And so the question that, you know, the way we think about it is, one, is this, I think one thing that's unique about us is once we've made the investment, Lisa spends a lot of time hammering it home to our founders that customer experience is absolutely essential. You have to focus on that so that the people who you're creating this product for can get the most out of it. So that's how we think about it. And then, of course, related to that is, you know, how are you obtaining data? How are you gathering data? How is that data being processed? Is it being fed to people in a way that's easy for them to digest and then to make decisions about the choices that are available to them to manage the risks that they're managing? That's how we think about it. In fact, and this is not directly related, but it's sort of. I urge our founders never to talk about disrupting supply chains because I think the idea of disruption is overused and poorly understood sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we're not here to disrupt supply chains. We're here to improve them. We're here to refashion them. We're here to ensure that they work as well or better tomorrow than they did yesterday. It's interesting you said around technology, we always need people. I don't think there's any technology that has ever completely replaced other jobs. The jobs just evolve yeah, and and they become more value-added jobs when automation does the mundane 
repetitive yeah. tasks. Yeah, it, it, it's an excellent point. Just this morning, I was texting with one of our LPs. I'm a CFA, a charter holder, and she's a CFA level three uh, candidate. Well, she's not yet a candidate, but she's thinking about studying for the exams. And someone said to her, why bother completing the CFA program? Chat, Chat GPT, GPT. <laughs> is going to is going to make it irrelevant. Yeah. I think I do everything in the last two months. Yeah, and I said I completely disagree. You know, because investing is yes, it's about analyzing reams and reams of past data, but it's also about understanding human behavior. Because the way an investment will play out in the future is entirely dependent on how the people participating in markets behave. And so sure, chat GPT might be better at any human being on the data side of it, past data, but I don't think chat GPT is going to be better at trying to figure out what the future might be. And how to make the subjective decisions. Yes, exactly. And how to make the subjective choices about, okay, given what we know about human beings, what should our choice be? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, I don't think it'll ever predict mass hysteria or vice versa of that, too. It was interesting, Brian, you were saying earlier how you want to kind of turn away from the definition of disruptions in supply chain and make them more positive. And I think a big positive that comes from refashioned is, of course, the success stories of the companies that you've invested in and have really built themselves up and have become a strong player in the market. So... With that, could you share an example of a successful startup that you've invested in and kind of dive into why you believed in their potential and what stood out to you about this company where you like really felt like you needed to be a part of their journey? Because I just find the whole end-to-end process, like you explained earlier, so interesting, especially with your personal and professional ties into the company. I want to be very careful about claiming success prematurely. Again, we invest in these startups very, very early, very, very early. The likelihood that they don't make it far, far, far exceeds any likelihood that they make it. But along the way, they have to develop a value hypothesis, right? Once they figure out how to solve a problem problem hypothesis, et cetera, then they have to develop a value hypothesis. And that is they have to develop some sort of a guess about how they're going to deliver value to their potential customers. And initially they take small steps in that direction. And then if things are going well, they get to a point where they figure out what their growth hypothesis is going to be. Okay, we've proved that we can deliver the value to our customers that we thought we'd be able to deliver. Now, how do we scale? How do we scale our own? So at this point, most of the startups in our portfolio that are farthest along, and that's because we invested in them at a point where they were already, they were Series B startups. They've figured out the value hypothesis and are now developing the growth hypothesis. So with all that as a disclaimer, I'll talk about natural fiber welding. We invested in them in their Series B round. Their Series B was an $85 million Series B. Our fund is so small that each investment we make is $25,000. We're raising a new fund that we hope will change, but for now it's $25,000. So we invested $25,000 in natural fiber welding Series B. And what does natural fiber welding do? Natural fiber welding is essentially trying to replace everything that is made with plastic 
with a similar product made with plant-based materials. Think about how profound that is, especially in the context of the plastic waste crisis that we're grappling with. And he comes up with a recipe and, okay, this recipe is going to create plant-based materials that replace the plastics in clothing. And the recipe can be tweaked for different types of clothing. Okay, now we have a recipe for a plant-based material that's going to be used in shoe soles. And it can be tweaked for different types of shoe soles. Uh, we're going to create a plant-based material that replaces the plastic casing that Brian's calculator is in. And we can tweak the recipe, right? That's the simplest way to... So they're addressing one problem at a time. Yeah. And so I think it's amazing. They know how to solve the problem. They've proved the value hypothesis, right? BMW and others are talking to them. So BMW, for example, wants to replace the leather that it puts in the car seats and all the other plastic and car interiors with stuff that natural fiber welding would have made. And now they're figuring out how to scale. Wow. So that's one. But again, it's still a long way from we've proved our value hypothesis. We're executing a growth hypothesis. We've exited and returned, you know, gobs and gobs of money to our investors. There's still a very long way to go. You mentioned scaling. I mean, how can you help them scale that? You talk about solving huge problems. That probably doesn't come much bigger than that. There are few problems bigger than that. That's exactly right. So, you know, it's an interesting question. And it goes back to why we started the community. Because what we realized is there is a chasm of knowledge and understanding and trust between the people who are building these new innovations for supply chains and the people who want to buy them. The builders understand the technology. They understand, you know, the problem in a certain way. They know how to create the new innovations and so on and so forth. The buyers see the problem from a different perspective. They understand it in a different way and so on and so forth. So there's this gap. And the role that we think our grassroots community and we as a fund play is to fill that gap. And so in the very early days, especially for the very, very young startups, what we might do is, okay, great. Now we know. The thing you've built works. Who can we personally introduce you to? Who can either give you feedback on how someone in a business who needs to buy these sorts of products is going to react to what you've built, or perhaps might even become one of your first customers, might become the second, right? Might try it out in a limited pilot, and if they love it, scale it out more. That's one of the ways that we help them scale. But that it gets to a point where, you know, it's kind of like with a child. You crawl, first you start to sit up, then you start to crawl, then you start to walk tentatively. And then at a certain point, you need to be able to walk on your own and hopefully start running. <laughs> but it's a bit less sophisticated than when my father taught me to ride a bike and he just pushed me and said, no. <laughs> like a little bit more hand-holding hand than that. <laughs> exactly. Hey, you know what? As long as you know how to do it, some people go about it different ways. But yeah, I think, think I like, like Brian's idea better. <laughs> Brian's technique. So. But it is so interesting, the company Natural Fiber Welding, like you were speaking about. I'm just 
blown away by what you've already talked about so far. And I'm honestly, I'm looking forward to seeing them grow even more in the future. And I'm looking forward to seeing them on my TV one day with great headlines. Hopefully. Or be part of your TV one day. The entire casing might be made with product from National Fiber Well. Yeah, exactly. But especially then being in the sustainability sector of supply chain, that's just ever growing and becoming so, so important, especially, you know, with Europe, with the plastic tax, and I'm yep. sure it's going to be implemented yep. soon in the U.S. and everything. Yep. So to kind of tack on with that success story, are there any other specific areas within the supply chain sector that you see as particularly promising for investments in the future? And, you know, what makes them attractive to you in that sense? Yeah, the things we're attracted, we're most excited about the same ones that we invest in. So we invest in four main categories. First, we invest in data and decision analytics. Lisa said to me, Brian, no one knows what the hell decision analytics is. Can we just call it data and AI? And so I said, yes, sure. Let's call it data and AI. Then the second area is advanced materials. And the thinking behind the advanced materials category is that now everyone around the world realizes that we create a lot of waste and that waste is inefficient. And are there ways that we can take these waste streams, these various waste streams that humanity creates and turn them into new products? And that's advanced materials. Now, if you're going to create new products, for example, can we take plastic waste and use it to create new products? Yeah. Can we take clothing, food waste, and so on and so forth, furniture? Now, if you're going to create new products, advanced materials, for new products, you probably need to come up with new ways of manufacturing because these are new materials that never existed before. So the old ways of manufacturing might not necessarily work. And so advanced manufacturing is the third one. And we didn't get into this because we don't have enough time. But usually I do this whole song and dance about, yes, if you talk to some people, they think that supply chain is only logistics, but supply chain is more than logistics. Or some people think supply chain is only manufacturing, or some people think it's only sourcing and procurement. Supply chain is all of these things and a lot more. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, despite me beating up on my friends who are logistics technology investors, it turns out that logistics is a very fundamental part of what happens in supply chains. So logistics is the linchpin of what happens in supply chains. And so the fourth bucket is next generation logistics. And what we're seeing in the portfolio so far, it's what we expected. Data and AI, as we shorten it, cuts across nearly all the other categories. So for example, it could be that the primary category for a startup is advanced materials. And then the secondary category is data. Awesome. It's so great. The work that Refashion does and that you guys have built from the ground up is just crazy. I want to build something just so I can get invested. It's <laughs> 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 so cool. So but I, see a, I see a pitch streaming in the next few minutes. <laughs> so can I give you some advice? Don't do it. From someone who is in the midst of building something and raising capital from investors, don't. Do I'll stay here and kind of work with what SAP's already got. You know? <laughs> it's, the most, it's the most painful, most brutal thing you will ever, will ever do. Yes. I'm not sure if I, if I have tough enough skin to stay in it. So. 
But it's yeah. actually crazy because next question I was going to ask, you gave me advice to not get into it. But those lunatics, as we said earlier, that do want to kind of get into venture capitalism and as a startup, what advice would you give them looking to attract companies like Refashion? So two groups of people, folks who want to start venture firms, I think the focus has to be on helping startup founders. We think of startup founders as our customer. So helping them to the best of their ability. You know, when I'm up at 3 a.m. and texting some of our founders with answers to questions they ask, it's that level of commitment to helping startup founders. And then for the startup founders, you know, being focused on their customer and solving the problem that their customer has, not the problem that they wish they were solving, not the problem that they would have liked to solve, right? Not the not using the technology that they got their PhD in, but actually solving the problem that the customer has in a way that helps the customer. Right back into the technology to solve that problem. If you start with the problem, it's not a technology looking for a solution. It's Right, exactly. That's exactly it. Fall in love with the problem and then figure out what the best solution right. to use to solve the problem is. And if they do those two things, it, it will be hard no matter what. But if you do those two things, I think things will work. Great. Great. I'll keep it in mind for my Brian, we have flown through this podcast and it's been intriguing and enlightening. And I can't wait for the answer to my last question because we ask everyone this question, but I think you have an interesting spin on it. What is the future of supply chain? So it's going to be more collaborative and I think more connected, more collaborative and more connected because everything we heard from people we spoke to both in person and on clubhouse and in meetups and whatnot. And it's funny because now I talk about clubhouse, but we haven't been on clubhouse in a while. So. In late 2020, we started a community on Clubhouse. It grew to like 12,000 people in no time. Uh, and we were hosting rooms and whatnot. And so all those conversations, what we heard is, why doesn't my supply chain technology all just work together? Why can't it all just coordinate nicely together? Why do I have to log into 11 or 20 different <laughs> systems in order to do my job? And I think what they were asking for was more collaboration between the vendors, more connectedness between the vendors, because what's happening is, you know, people are now using, they're now using networks, they're now using platforms, they're using ecosystems of things, ecosystems of customers and so on and so forth. In fact, we only just updated our investment thesis to simplify it, but the first version of our investment thesis was about startups refashioning supply chains through networks, platforms, and ecosystems. Right. But that was too complicated for anyone who is not myself or Lisa. So we simplified it and got rid of all the jargon. So the future of supply chain is going to be more connected and more collaborative. Brian, this has been a great conversation. Thanks very much for sharing your insights. Thank you. Such Thank a pleasure. <laughs> Hopefully you'll have me back again at some point in the future. You can count on that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. I'd like thank to you. thank everyone for listening. In the next episode, we'll have Shippio as our guest to 
talk about how to leverage real-time insights to improve visibility and efficiency across logistics processes. Please mark us as a favourite and you can get regular updates and information about future episodes. But until next time, from Brian, Nicole and I, thank you for discussing the future of supply chain.